0: The scripture text this morning comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Listen for God's word to us. Paul writes, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, back in 2014, Leonard Cohen was asked what it was like to write a song, and he spoke of how being a songwriter is like being married to a mystery. Leonard Cohen is a Canadian singer-songwriter who emerged in the 1960s, and his music has since influenced a whole host of other artists. In 1995, there was a tribute album where other musicians recorded songs by Leonard Cohen. Those musicians included Bono, Don Henley, Aaron Neville, Elton John, Billy Joel Bono, Peter Gabriel, Willie Nelson, Sting, Trisha Yearwood, all recorded versions of Cohen's music. And cited Cohen as a major influence on their work. Cohen's song, Hallelujah, has been one of the most covered songs of all time. It's shown up in a host of movies and it was even sung at the Winter Olympics held in Canada. Now, Cohen famously labored over that song. He had 80 verses written for the song Hallelujah, but he whittled those 80 down to just four that he included in his first recorded version. He was a famous perfectionist who wanted to get that song just right. And when he did, one line from a song by Leonard Cohen could be so evocative, people would wonder and ponder it for years afterwards. When Cohen was asked near the end of his life about the songwriting process, here's what the 82-year-old at the time said. Being a songwriter, it's like being a nun. You're married to a mystery. It's not a particularly generous mystery, but other people have that experience with matrimony anyway. Married to a mystery. If you're an artist or writer, you know what he's talking about, don't you? You go to do your art or you sit down to write and you wonder, will the muse come? Will an idea come? Will inspiration arrive? You don't know. You're married to a mystery. One could argue any wife or husband knows what it's like to be married to a mystery, although I hope and pray you know a greater degree of generosity in that relationship than the kind of marriage Cohen refers to. During these pandemic days, Jill and I are learning wonderful new things about each other, even in how we respond to the restrictions. Jill, my wife, was quite surprised when I mentioned the yearning I have felt recently to just to go to a huge rock concert and be crammed with a crowd, you know? I've had that yearning in these COVID-19 days and she was surprised by that even having known me for more than 30 years and I've discovered new things about her these past two months reminding us both we are in some ways still married to a mystery. Cohen compared songwriting to being married to a mystery, and he cited a nun as an example of such a marriage, but I think any person of faith knows what he's talking about in that term married to a mystery. If you walk by faith and not by sight, if you believe in the Holy Spirit, the invisible presence of God with us now, if you believe in concepts like Christ in us, Christ, who on one hand was that first century Jewish carpenter's son, a teacher and healer, and yet is also, we believe, with us by the power of the Spirit. If you're going to talk about that, you are talking about mystery. If you've aligned your life with Christ's life, decided to follow him where he leads, you are married to that mystery. I've been reflecting a lot in these pandemic days on this, this sense of how we are married to a mystery. As we gather for worship like we're doing now, not only can't we see Christ, but in these days of COVID-19, we can't even see each other. Ordinarily, we can't hold Christ's hand, but we can at least hold one another's hand. Today, not only can't we hold Christ's hand physically, we can't even hold one another's hand. We can't gather as one physical body together. And so it raises the question even more, what does it mean to be one? And yet, we believe by the power of the Spirit that we are one body made so, in Jesus Christ united this very moment in him. And so we are speaking unequivocally of mystery, aren't we? And yet when we read about the mystery of our faith in the scriptures, the Bible makes it clear that the God we walk with is not only mysterious, but God reveals mysteries to God's people. God reveals mysteries. We see that portrait of God in the Old Testament in books like Daniel. You remember in Daniel how King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him greatly. And when he awoke, he called for all the sorcerers and magicians and the Chaldeans, anyone who might be able to interpret, and he asked them to tell him the dream and its interpretation. Well, the magicians, sorcerers, Chaldeans, they replied, How can we do that if we don't know what the dream is? Nebuchadnezzar was enraged and he had all of them together with other seers rounded up and was prepared to execute them. Daniel and his companions were among those who would be so executed and Daniel pleaded with the king for time to interpret the dream. He asked his companions together with him to pray that God might reveal the dream and its meaning, and then Daniel went to bed, married to a mystery. But that night, you recall, Daniel had a vision, and he saw the dream and its interpretation. And Daniel then responded to this revelation with these words, Blessed be the name of God from age to age who gives wisdom to the wise, and reveals deep and hidden things. God, Daniel declared, not only is mysterious, but reveals mysteries. In first century Jewish thought, a mystery, was believed to be something hidden with God, stored in the heavens until the time God chose to reveal it. And we read often in Jewish texts of how God does precisely that through seers or prophets, using visions and dreams. Other Jewish texts in the rough framework of the time of Christ and then of the epistles speak of mysteries even hidden in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible that God could reveal through inspired interpretations. And then this notion of God as revealer of mysteries is highlighted in the book of Colossians where we read of a new revelation God gives us in Christ. The first chapter of Colossians begins with a portrait of Christ that is truly cosmic in scope. Christ is called the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the one in whom all things in heaven and on earth were created, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, the one through whom God was pleased to reconcile all things in heaven and on earth through the blood of the cross. It paints Christ as the very nexus of all things on heaven and earth. And how do you wrap your head around that? It's a mystery in the extreme. It's like looking out on the night sky and seeing stars, but you certainly can't glimpse them in all their glory or the solar systems they represent. It would blow your mind. And yet when Jesus said to some fishermen, come follow me, according to Colossians, they were aligning themselves with the unifying and reconciling force of the galaxy, staring at that each time they looked at Jesus. How do you wrap your head around that? You don't. You say, as the songwriter Leonard Cohen did, you're married to a mystery. And yet, When we get to the second half of chapter one of Colossians, as we do today, we read of this cosmic Christ, not simply as a mystery above and beyond our comprehension. Christ is a mystery revealed. We read, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations has now been revealed to the saints To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The first chapter of Colossians offers a portrait of the cosmic Christ, one who seems impossibly above and beyond our knowing. The second part of chapter one presents Christ as the very mystery of God revealed. So which is it? Are we married to a mystery, or are we married to someone who might once have been a mystery, but is now no longer? For the mystery was made known to us in all its riches and all its glory. The answer, of course, is both. We're married to a mystery, aligned to the God who is beyond us, and we see that cosmic God in Christ. And yet that very mystery was revealed to us. And more than that, we believe all will be revealed in a day to come. That's what I presume Paul is speaking of in today's text when he writes about the hope of glory we hold in Christ. We're married to a mystery, but a mystery revealed and to be revealed. The theologian Karl Barth was famous for delving deep into this notion of Christ, on the one hand showing us the God beyond our knowing, and yet at the same time revealing that God to us. Barth was famous for challenging natural theology, the notion that we can somehow know God apart from Christ or apart from God's revelation. As Bart saw it, natural theology held that you can know God, whether you're a person of faith or not, by observing creation, and from that, drawing conclusions about God. You could look to the earth, in other words, and from there make logical deductions about what lay in the heavens. Against such a view, Bart argued, no. Sin has had too great an impact on our seeing, and God is holy, and we are not. God is wholly other. In God's essence, the God of heaven and earth is unknowable. How can we truly know that God? God in God's very being with the limited faculties we possess these those flawed and tainted by sin, we see imperfectly. And what we're trying to see is beyond sight. So God is on the one hand fundamentally mysterious, the deus abscondus, which is a classic way to speak of the hiddenness of God. And yet, Barth, as did Martin Luther before him, could argue that the Deus Obscondus, the hidden God, was revealed in history and revealed most powerfully in the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, who we know from Scripture. The deus abscondus, or the hidden God, became in Christ the deus revelatus, the revealed God. Paul writes in Colossians, not only of a cosmic Christ in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, he writes of how that same Christ revealed God's plans and purposes to us, revealed God's word to us, revealed even God's very self to us. And that revelation... Paul sees as such wonderful news he's willing to labor unceasingly, suffer repeatedly, that others might know that Christ, in whom the very mysteries of God are decisively revealed. Well, one powerful thing Christ reveals to us about God, one thing highlighted in today's text from Paul's own experience of following Christ's example and call, is how God is willing to suffer out of love for God's creation. Paul writes of his own suffering and that such suffering is completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, the church. It's a portrait of Paul uniting himself with Christ and Christ's ongoing ministry through the church, uniting himself with Christ's body in its suffering love. It's a portrait of participation in the birth pangs of the new creation Christ is bringing about. It's an image of suffering love offered in obedience to the Lord who suffered, who even suffered death on the cross. On the cross, not only is God revealed in Jesus Christ, but revealed as well is God's willingness to suffer in love for God's people, for you and for me. A God willing to suffer in love for others. That's what we see on the cross. It's a love Jesus described as one extended even to one's enemies. It's a love for the oppressed, a love for the lost and the hurting. We saw that love in Christ's ministry. We saw how that love challenged the forces of injustice, how it looked to the lost and despised and persecuted and held authorities to account, put their actions up on stark display. That love so willing to suffer, Jesus took to the cross where God's love for sinful humanity was placed on stark display and there. There on the cross, the deus abscondus, the hidden God, became the deus revelatus, the revealed God, a God revealed in a love that would endure such suffering for the world. If you are Christian, you're not only married to a mystery, you're married to a mystery revealed, revealed in Jesus Christ, revealed on the cross. And so you have good news to pass on to others. You have good news of a God whose love is so great, it's willing to suffer for others. In this pandemic, people are feeling profoundly isolated and alone. You can speak of a God whose love for the lonely knows no bounds, but even endure death for our sake. People have lost jobs and wonder where their source of security might lie. You can speak of a God who's the unifying force behind all things, the very ground on which we stand, coming near to us, that we might find meaning and hope when all other platforms on which we might otherwise stand collapse beneath our feet. You have good news, for you know of a God willing to suffer in love for others and willing to speak out against those who suffer unjustly. In this pandemic, racial disparities have come to the fore. You can speak of a God who suffers with the victims of racial injustice. In Michigan, over 40% of COVID-19 deaths are African-American when African-Americans make up only 14% of the population. Why is that? According to researchers, it's a complex disparity ecosystem where African Americans occupy a greater number of frontline jobs that expose them to the virus. Their use of Public transportation is disproportionately higher and their access to health care is disproportionately lower. A complex disparity ecosystem. A video captured national attention this week depicting yet another young black man, Ahmed Arbery, killed, we believe, for the color of his skin, not for driving while black in this case, but for jogging while black. In a nation where the sin of racism persists, you can speak of a God who suffers with its victims whose heart grapes for its victims, and of a church like the one we see depicted in Colossians, the church Paul was a part of so wrapped up in the love of God in Christ that they join in Christ's ministry of proclaiming good news and showing love to the suffering. We see God's love for humanity in Christ's suffering on the cross, and like Paul, we are called to engage in a love of God and of neighbor that brings with it strain and even suffering, especially as our hearts go out to those who suffer. As we follow God, whose suffering love was revealed on the cross, may we dare show love to others, especially those that are on your minds and hearts today who suffer. You're married to a mystery, friends. But it's a mystery revealed in scripture, revealed in Christ, revealed in his suffering love for us on the cross. You are married to a God who is on one hand invisible, intangible, mysterious, but on the other hand, you've seen God, seen God in Christ and seen God's love poured out for you on the cross. You're married to a mystery revealed and what a rich, meaningful life it is to be so well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen.